I invite you to stand with me at this time for the reading of God's word. Romans chapter 12, beginning at verse 9. Let love be genuine, abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal, be fervent in spirit, serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. I mentioned last week that uh, a few weeks ago, this fall, some of our elders attended a conference on church health. And so we are, we are praying and we are planning on how we here at Proclamation can grow as a healthy church. And last week, I said that one metric that we ought to consider is every member ministry. 100% of our members using their gifts to build up the body. <clears throat> at that conference, we were also told that love is the motivational root and the primary fruit for life and ministry in the church of Christ. Love is the motivational root, primary fruit for life and ministry in Christ's church. So if we are to be a healthy church, then we must also grow in love. We heard this morning, 1 John four nineteen. we love because he first loved us. So how do we know what love is? How did God show his love for us? Paul told us earlier in Romans chapter five that God shows his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The apostle John in his first letter, this apostle uh, who often referred to himself as the one Jesus loved, told us in his first first letter, in this, the love of God was made manifest among us. So in other words, this is how God showed us his love, that God sent his only son into the world that we might live through him. And this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. That word propitiation, it's a a big word. It's a, a word that's rich in theology. It's important for us to understand it, to know what it means. And a simple way to understand it is to see it as propitiation means a sacrifice that appeases wrath or turns aside wrath. And it's referring to the doctrine of substitutionary atonement. That's another big phrase. We don't use these words every day. But they're important in the life of a Christian. And the substitutionary atonement is simply referring to the fact that Jesus, the eternal Son of God, took the punishment for our sin. He was our substitute in his death on the cross. So that God's wrath is no longer on those who repent and trust in Jesus, but instead only his love and his favor. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And at the gospel of Jesus, at the heart of the gospel is God's love for us. This is how he showed his love for us. So at the heart of our lives and response to the gospel is love both for God and for people. 
Today we come to Romans 12 and verse 9, and here Paul begins a series of commands, one after the other after the other, that show us how to love people. As we consider these commands, I want to begin by giving you a definition of love. This comes from Paul Tripp as he studied 1 John and he studied the love that Jesus has for us. This is how he summarizes that love. So this is the love Jesus has for us and the love that we are to show for others. And there's five aspects to it. He defines it this way. Love is willing self-sacrifice for the good of another that does not demand reciprocation or that the person being loved is deserving. So love is a willing self-sacrifice for the good of another, does not demand reciprocation, that is, it doesn't demand that they will love me back, and it also does not demand that the person being loved is deserving. So let's keep that in mind as we look at these commands this morning. We are to seek to love in this way, to obey these commands that we have in Romans 12. Why? Because Jesus first loved us. And so as we make our way through this last section of Romans, it's very heavy on commands, things that we are called to do, to obey God. We must keep in mind that we obey from favor, not for favor. We obey because God does love us, not in an effort to earn his love. We obey as a way of saying thank you. It's an expression of our gratitude for God's amazing grace and response to our blatant guilt. So let's keep that in mind week after week, day after day. We obey from God's favor on us, not for his favor. In our passage today, we have several commands from God that instruct his people, how to love one another. And I've put this into seven points that will help you follow along if you want to keep track. And don't worry, not each one will be as long as my typical points are. But first, we begin. Let love be genuine. And that word for, for genuine, it comes from an image in Greek theater at the time. It means without a mask. And so some versions translate it, let love be without hypocrisy. Without a mask. At that time in live theater, actors would often play multiple roles at a time. And what they would do is they would carry masks with them to signify which role they were playing. So if they were playing a tragic role, they would put on a mask to reflect that. Or a comedic role, they would put on a different mask to reflect that. Or a melodramatic role, they had another mask. So they would put on the appropriate mask and they would play or they would act the role. And so Paul begins by saying, those who love are not to play a role. This is not an act. We're not putting on a mask. But instead, we are to be genuine. We are to be real. We are to be sincere. So love must be genuine, or love must be without hypocrisy. The Puritan pastor Thomas Watson said, hypocritical love is like a painted fire that never warms. Think about that image. A painted fire that never warms. It's saying it's not real. There's no substance to it. Today when I go home and I stand in front of my fire, I don't want it to just be a picture of a fire. It would do me no good. But when you stand in front of that real fire, you feel the warmth of it. And what a wonderful feeling that is. 
Well, beloved, Jesus' love for us is the real thing. It is genuine. It is sincere. It is steadfast. And it is a willing love. Remember that first aspect. A willing self-sacrifice. Remember what Jesus said? He said, no one takes my life from me. I lay it down of my own accord. So Jesus died for you because he wanted to. He was willing to do so. So there is a want to in this sincere love that Paul commands. A willingness to love others as Jesus has loved us. Beloved, we begin by saying, let love be genuine. Let it be sincere. Well, second, in our love for others, we are to abhor what is evil and hold fast to what is good. Real love, Christ-like love, does not love everything. Our love for Christ, for one another, is to be discerning. So we love others by loving what Jesus loves on the one hand, and on the other hand, hating what Jesus hates. The love of Jesus is a willing self-sacrifice for the good of another. And beloved, not all things are good for others. So we abhor what is evil. We hate it. You know, too often we think that loving someone means never opposing them. In our world today, we are told that loving someone means we must affirm, we must celebrate what they say, what they feel, what they believe to be true about themselves with no regard to what God, their creator, may say about it. And this is not love. Not according to God's definition. We have have examples of this throughout the scriptures of people who love God, loving what Jesus loves and hating what Jesus hates and bringing that into their love for their brothers and sisters in Christ. So think about Paul and Peter. They were both apostles. They had both had an encounter with the risen Christ. They saw Jesus alive after he had died. They both were called to preach the gospel. They were partners in ministry. But when Paul saw Peter living in a way that denied the gospel, the scriptures say he opposed him to his face. He did not affirm Peter. He told him, Peter, you are wrong. Paul abhorred, he hated the evil way that Peter was living because Peter was leading others astray by his hypocrisy. And so Paul, out of love for God, out of love for the glory of God, for the truth of the gospel, and out of love for Peter. Paul loved Peter enough to risk his response of anger, to risk conflict with a friend, with a brother. In pursuit of Peter's faith, in pursuit of what was good for Peter, Paul rebuked Peter. He hated what was evil. Another pastor says it this way, if we're not willing to confront someone, We don't love them. We just love them liking us. Real love is prepared to do what is right, even if it risks losing someone's friendship. The Proverbs say it like this, Proverbs 27, 5 through 6, better is open rebuke than hidden love. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, profuse are the kisses of an enemy. 
So if we are to love others as Christ loved us, we must also hate what Jesus hates and love what Jesus loves. Not only do we hate what is evil, but we cling to what is good. That word cling means to unite with or to associate with, to join together. It's the word that Jesus used when he was talking about the bond in marriage. When Jesus said, a man shall leave his father and mother and cleave or cling to his wife. He uses this word. So our attachment to what is good is to be the devotion that is illustrated by the sacred bond of marriage. Cling to what is good. Hold fast to what is good. Not only for yourself, but for others. The love that Jesus has for us, that we are, extend, that we are to extend to one another, it's a willing self-sacrifice for the good of others. So in the church, we are to be motivated by what is good for others. We don't simply cling or hold fast to what we want, right? What I want my day to look like what I want my week or my life to look like. But we are actively engaged in seeking the good of others. So Paul will say in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor. Seek the good of your neighbor. Beloved, by God's grace, you can do good for others. A genuine love that is driven by Christ will love what Jesus loves and hate what Jesus hates. Will abhor what is evil and hold fast to what is good. Third, verse 10, Paul says, love one another with brotherly affection. Love one another with brotherly affection. <clears throat> this is the kind, tender affection of a close, loving family. I think most of you, uh, those of you part of the Proclamation family, you, you know that our daughter Molly was home just a few weeks ago after being away for or over a year in Ethiopia. And now she's safely back in Ethiopia. But we were so thankful to see her and to spend time with her, to see her face to face and to be able to talk with her. And when we first got together, we were meeting the, the various siblings and Amy and I were all, we all were converging in one spot, we're coming from different places. And we were meeting in Virginia Beach for the CCEF conference. And Amy and I and Lydia and Molly got there first. So we were in this very small room in this Airbnb and we were waiting for Elena and for Luke and for Ella to arrive. And we were anticipating that reunion when we would be together and when the other siblings would see Molly for the first time. And so as they pulled in, Lydia was, was in another room. She's, she's like, wait, don't let them in. I want to see it. We had this anticipation we wanted to see the response, to see the look on their faces, to see the spontaneous love they would show for one another. And that's indeed what happened. You could anticipate it, the tender love, the hugs, the smiles, the tears of being reunited. That's the tender love of a family. And in that moment, I just happened to, to catch my wife, Amy. I looked over and with all five kids there, and you could just see the joy the love in her, in her smile, on her face. Love one another with a brotherly affection. This is the kind of love that we are to have for the people in this room, for this family right here, and for those who, for whatever reason, are not able to be with us this morning, other members of our church. But this is the kind of love we're to have in the church. Why? Because we are the family of God. 
And we are to love one another like we are family, with an appropriate affection and tenderness. Beloved, this is unique among Christianity. Why? Because Jesus is the unique Savior. And because he actually lives in us. And his love abides in us. And that love draws us to one another in the church. It's unique among Christianity, this kind of love, this kind of commitment among and between people who are not physically related. Not only that, but among people who may be or may be in the past natural enemies. Paul's writing to Jews and Gentiles alike. They are together in one church and they didn't always get along the best. But God is bringing them together. And what united them together then, what unites us together today, is our union with our Savior, Jesus Christ. It is Christ in me, and it is Christ in you. And this kind, tender affection for one another, remember, it grows in the soil of the gospel. So Jesus grows, Jesus' love for us grows this kind of love in us for others. So like Jesus, we grow to love our brothers and sisters in the church with a tender affection, without a demand that they must love us back, without a requirement that they've been living in a way that has earned our love. No, beloved, we love them as Christ has loved us, with tender, kind affection, a willing self-sacrifice that doesn't demand they love us back or that they're deserving of of our love. Now, I'll ask you, can you love one another like that? Not on your own, you can't. Not on your own. Only if you have been loved by Jesus. Then, indeed, you can. Because it is Christ living and loving through you. You can't love on your own like that. But I'll tell you this. You can cultivate that affection one way or the other. You can cultivate affection one way or the other. If you focus on the negative if you focus on the sins and the weaknesses and the failures of your brothers and sisters in Christ, you're not going to cultivate a tender affection towards them. But instead, if you focus on your Savior, Jesus Christ, focus on the way that he loves your brothers and sisters in Christ, focus on the work that he's doing in their lives right now and the work that he will complete, you will grow the right kind of affection and love for one another. Paul knows the church is a family that is even closer than one's biological family. For in the church, we are all united as Christ, in Christ as brothers and sisters forever. The fellowship, the bond we share as brothers and sisters in Christ will go on throughout eternity. We enjoy it now. We'll enjoy it in perfect fellowship forever in the presence of our Savior. And we know Jesus is not ashamed to call us brothers and sisters. What a glorious truth that is. So we should not be ashamed either. We are to love one another with a tender brotherly affection. Fourth, in loving one another, we are to outdo one another in showing honor. So this is some good Christian competition. We are to aim to win the love contest. I love to win. I'm sure some of you love to win as well. So... I need to want to win this contest. Outdo one another in showing honor. And in essence, what Paul is saying is, we're to lead the way. We're to set the example in giving preference for others. 
Don't wait for others to honor you. Don't think about, hey, this means, if I read this command, this means my brothers and sisters are supposed to honor me. So I'll just wait and let them do that. That's not how we're supposed to read the command. We're to read it with our responsibility in mind. I'm going to lead the way. I'm going to set the pace in giving preference to you. Philippians chapter 2, a wonderful chapter to read if you want to reflect on this some more. Verse 3 says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourself. It's the same idea. Give preference to others before yourself. Now, another, another way to think about it, this is keep the spotlight on others. The spotlight on others and on their needs and on ways you can serve them and not on you. And resist that temptation to turn it in on yourself. Another way of thinking about this is to begin to think or, or love in a way that says, as much as I want honor for myself, I want it for others. In fact, I want it more for others. As much as I want my needs to be met, I want the needs of others to be met first or more than my own. And this brings us to our fifth point, some, some instruction on this. We are to love one another with a practical compassionate love we are to look for ways to welcome others as christ has welcomed us in verse 13 paul says it like this contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality contribute to the needs of the saints that means to participate in to share or to have in common so yes it is indeed referring to financial or material help for those in need especially for believers he says contribute to the needs of the saints those are your brothers and sisters in christ but this is not limited to financial help only paul's bringing out this idea that we are to identify with the needs of our brothers and sisters in christ in such a way as if to make them our own so think how would you want to be treated in a time of need. Now what do we often say when someone is hurting or someone is in need? We might not know how to help them, right? So what do we say? Hey, let me know if there's anything I can do. Let me know if there's anything that you need. And that can come from a pure heart, from a motive of love, from a desire to serve. And sometimes people will tell you and then you can fill that need you can help but one way to be proactive in love and service is to think of what you might need if you were in the same situation instead of asking them to think of it and come up with it you give some time and prayer to it what would you need if you were in that situation and then fill that need how would you want to be treated in a time of need let me give you one very practical application that I think will convey the idea that I'm getting at. This is a desire that I have for our church family, although I don't want to see it happen very often, and you'll understand why in just a moment. But I heard about a church where this was starting to happen, and it is starting to happen here. But we're not quite there yet. And the idea is this. When a member of our church dies, or perhaps an immediate member of a member, we all attend the funeral every one of us why because we're family because we are family 
and we are participating in the need of our family. You might think, well, what if I have other, what if I have other plans? Of course you have other plans. We always have other plans. The person who's bearing their loved one certainly was not planning to do that on whatever day that is. They had to change their entire schedule because of it. And they're overwhelmed by it. So think if that was you burying a father, a mother, a sister, whoever it would be. What do you need in that moment? You need your family to be with you. So that's what I, I urge for us as a family. It's one way that we can contribute to the needs of the saints by identifying with their sorrow as if it were our own because it is our own. This is what the scriptures tell us over and over again. When one member suffers, we all suffer. So let's own it as if it's our own. Now that's just one example. And I'll say this, let's not wait until someone dies to show love. Every day, We can look for ways to love one another. So I'll ask you, here's a homework assignment. You can go home today and you can think, what's one thing that you can do this week to identify with the needs of someone from this church family? Pray, seek the guidance of the Holy Spirit, and then contribute to, participate in, meet that need. And then Paul says this, seek to show hospitality. Now, we know when Paul wrote this, there's no Airbnbs, there's no hotels. When Christians traveled, they depended on other Christians to host them, to give them a place to stay, to welcome them into their homes, to provide food and lodging for them, a safe place, a place of fellowship. Today, that that practical need may not be the same for us as it was then, but the command is still there for us to obey. And Paul says... We are to seek this. We're to be active in pursuing obedience to this command, to be intentional and in loving people this way, to, to plan for it, to be on the lookout for it. There are many different ways that we can show hospitality. One of them, a great way, is by having people into our homes. And so I would encourage you, if you haven't done that, to consider inviting people over. If you've never done it, maybe you start by thinking, hey, maybe, maybe once a month or once every month we can do it. And, and often the hardest thing is just to get it on the calendar. So pick a date when you can have someone over and then get out the church directory and pick someone. You don't know how, just open a page, tape it to the wall and throw a dart and see where it lands. Or maybe ask your children to give you an idea. Seek to show hospitality to one another. We don't have to just do it by having people into our homes. We can do it right here in this physical space every week as we gather. You can greet and welcome people warmly here at Proclamation. Whether they're a guest that you've never met before or whether it's one of the fellow members here. Maybe you invite them to sit with you. Maybe you introduce them to somebody else. Maybe you show them where the nursery is or you let them have that last cup of coffee. Let them see the hospitality of Jesus in your smile. And this morning I did this, this opening welcome that we, we often do. And I say this church opens wide her arms with a warm welcome from our risen Savior Jesus Christ. And you know when I say that, I am putting a lot on your shoulders. Because we have to embody that, right? I am trusting you 
the beloved saints here at Proclamation, that you will live that out so that nobody can say, man, the pastor said that, but nobody talked to me. I'm never going back to there. They don't believe what they preach. But I know, I trust you because I've seen you welcoming one another. I've seen you embody this command. But I would remind you that what you do in the parking lot matters just as much as what I preach from the pulpit. That we must live out this welcome, to welcome one another as Christ has welcomed us. So I'd encourage you, whether you're on the greeting team or not, and if you're not, they could use people, I'm sure, to smile and welcome people. But whether you're on that actual team or not, you are all greeters. Just think of everybody. This is filled with undercover greeters. And it's your job to welcome people as Christ has welcomed you. When we were growing up, and when, when our kids were growing up, we'd be on our way to church. We'd just try to remind them, involve them. Kids can do this. They can walk. They can smile. They can wave their hand. They can help in this. So we would tell our kids, hey, listen, you might be an introvert. That's okay. Just try to welcome one person, one person today. And then on the way home, we talk about it. Hey, who did you talk to? Who did you welcome? What did you learn about them? And as you do that, remember, you're, you're trying to learn about them. So be respectful, listen, seek to love them. Perhaps once a month here, now maybe I'm stepping on some toes here. We get used to where we're sitting, right? In certain spots. So maybe once a month, you could sit somewhere else. And uh, you don't have to do that. This is just a suggestion. But it's an opportunity or maybe you'd meet somebody different and you get to welcome someone else. So I'd encourage you to welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you. I haven't said this phrase in a while, but I often say at the beginning, come early, stay late, park far, sit near. Those are good phrases to remember. If you want to practice hospitality, you want to grow your affection for one another, this is one of the opportunities where you can actually see your brothers and sisters in Christ. You can talk to them. So come a little early, give yourself time, stay a little late to talk with one another, park as far away as you can, save those closest spots for those guests that might come, people that might need it, and I love when you sit close. Save, save spots for people maybe coming in late, whatever the case may be. Well, let's move on. Number six now, as you love one another, verse 11, do not be slothful in zeal, be fervent in spirit, serve the Lord. Do not be slothful in zeal. So we need a good hard work ethic here. God created us to work. Love is hard work. So don't be lazy in loving people. Don't grow weary in it. It's worth it. And Jesus is worth the glory that you bring him when you love others in his name. So work hard at it. Think about it. What have you worked hard at? Maybe saving money for a house or for a car. Maybe getting a degree or a job. Maybe making a sports team or getting in shape or maybe some home project. There's lots of things that you work hard at, that you plan, you think about, you give time to and effort and energy. So we work hard at loving one another. Paul also says, be fervent in spirit. He's telling us to love people with passion, with an overflow of the love of the Holy Spirit. That word fervent means boiling or the image of boiling over. And the idea here is that God's people are so filled with the love of Jesus that others can't get near us without the love of Christ boiling over, spilling out of our lives onto them. That's what we want to see happen here. And this fervency, this passion grows in the soil of the gospel when you realize in loving people, you are actually serving the Lord. So this passion, it's not just enthusiasm for its own sake. And it's not limited to people who are naturally passionate. 
It is driven and directed toward the glory of Jesus. Serving Jesus, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, is the highest privilege in the world. Amen? Amen? Jesus is your creator, your king, your judge, your savior. You were his enemy. You were dead in sin. You were without God. You had no hope in the world. And Jesus came and he willingly died in your place. He bore the wrath that you deserved, that you had earned. And now all you know is his grace and favor. So he has welcomed you into the fellowship, into the love of the triune God. He's given you eternal life. He has subdued you to himself, welcoming you into his kingdom. He now rules over you and he defends you and he is restraining and conquering all your and his enemies. And so now, as we reflect on that, it is, with our, it is our joy to serve him with every ounce of strength that we have. And that service is done by loving his bride, his family, his body, his church. Beloved, when you love God's people, when you love the saints, you are serving, you are loving Jesus Christ himself. What did he say? What you did for the least of these, my brothers, you did for me. What a great privilege. And yet, it can be so hard. Why is it so hard? Well, I wonder how you're thinking in your mind right now. Are you measuring your ability to do this? How do you measure your potential to love people in this way? You know, most of us will think, we measure it by ourselves, by our own track record, or maybe the circumstances of our lives, the problems that we're facing. Oh, I'm, I, I'm so tired. I'm so stressed. I'm so sick. Or maybe we measure it by other people. Well, they're not easy to love. They're hard to love. All of those ways of measuring our ability to love, it's the wrong measure. Don't measure your potential to love by your track record, by your ability, your desire, or by the size of your problems, or by the lovability of the person. But beloved, measure it by Jesus. Because your potential to love is found in Christ and his love. We love, why? Because he first loved us. Beloved, Christ lives in you. He really does. And he truly is able to love others through you. He abides in you wherever you go. And his love is perfected in you. So finally, how? How do we love like this? Just a few closing words. Verse 12. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Rejoice in hope. That hope refers to what God has promised, but we've not yet seen. We've not yet received it and this hope is not individual it's not for you alone but it is for you who trust in jesus together with all of god's chosen people all of his saints those paul is commanding you to love so if we are to love others we must rejoice in hope and colossians chapter 1 tells us that this hope includes christ in you the hope of glory to love others as Jesus has loved us, we must learn to set our minds on things above, not on things that are on earth. We must remember that we have died and our life is hidden with Christ in God. We must remember that when Christ, who is our life, appears, then we also will appear with him in glory. 
We must meditate on these glorious truths, the sure, the certain hope to come, which will produce joy and rejoicing in us and strengthen us to love one another. And we must remember and see this hope of glory in our brothers and sisters in Christ as well. We must also be patient in tribulation. You know, tribulation, affliction, suffering, that is a normal part of the Christian life. Paul often addresses this. The scriptures often address this. We've seen it earlier in Romans. Remember, suffering, then glory. That was the pattern for Christ. It's the pattern for all who follow him. But if we are not rejoicing in hope and patient in tribulation, this common suffering will weigh us down. And we will turn in on ourselves. And the temptation will be to isolate to focus on our own needs, our own pain. And when you're consumed with yourself, you are unable to see the needs of others or to love others. So beloved, be patient in tribulation. Though hard, we know there's a glory to come. It will pass. Though hard, it will for the child of God result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Rejoicing in hope is what enables you to be patient in tribulation. And then finally, be constant in prayer. That word be constant means to devote. And you'll often see that command in the scriptures, devote yourself to prayer. So yes, this is a command, but even more than that, this is a gracious invitation. Not only that we can enjoy communion and fellowship with God to enjoy the favor, the loving fellowship that Jesus has always enjoyed with God the Father, but also to find the help and the mercy that we need. If you want to love others as Jesus has loved you, to love first because he first loved us, ask God for his help. He will not say no. He will help you. And we want to be a healthy church that brings great glory to our God and Savior. If we are to do that, we must grow in love. I praise and thank God for all the ways that this is already happening. I believe we are growing in love. We see it. We feel it. We sense it. But we want to continue growing in love. And that love grows in the soil of the gospel. We love, we obey these commands from the favor we already have with God. Not for his favor. We do it because God loves us, not to earn his love. We love because he first loved us. To grow in loving others, we must first grow in understanding the love of God for us through Jesus Christ. So I want to close this morning with two prayers from Paul toward this end. It's wonderful to pray the prayers of the scriptures. Ephesians chapter 1 and Philippians chapter 1. And at first I was just going to read them, but I said, that makes no sense. I need to pray them. Paul says, be constant in prayer. So let's pray together as we close these two prayers from Ephesians chapter 1 and Philippians chapter 1. Father, we do ask that according to the riches of your glory, you would grant us to be strengthened with power through your spirit in our inner being, that Christ would dwell in our hearts through faith, so that we, being rooted and grounded in love, we would have power together with all your saints, all your people to to grasp, 
to comprehend, to understand how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. This love that surpasses knowledge so that we would be filled with all the fullness of God. Lord, may you do that in us for the sake of your great name. And Father, it's also our prayer that our love would abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, that we would approve what is excellent, so we would be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. Lord, what a glorious day that Jesus is coming and that we would be filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes not from our own obedience, but from the perfect obedience of Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Lord, may you do that in us.